When your child is struggling, as a parent, you need support. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. I'm at the 46th Annual Psychotherapy Associates Winter Symposium. This is in Colorado Springs, and once again, I get my hands on the experts. The men and women who are speaking at this conference, the, the, the other people having booths here, this is where all the experts in the industry of mental health and addiction and recovery gather to share the information they have, and I wanna get it into your hands. So thank you for joining me on this week's episode of Beyond Risk and Back. I think one of the things that I uh, sometimes neglect to do in my shows is uh, uh, talk about the, the siblings of the struggling kid because a lot of times in, and we talk about this in the Beyond Risk and Back episodes, you, there's so much energy focused on the one who's struggling that, um, they become the identified patient of the family. And so all the attention goes there. And what happens is mom or dad, you know, the parent, they tell their parents or they tell their brother and sister. And then there's a family gathering and maybe the kid who's struggling blows out sideways. And all the cousins are now asking, well, what happened with so-and-so? We said, well, they're dealing with some mental health issues or some addiction issues. And so let's not mention when we go see at Christmas. And this whole psychic energy starts up around the family that is in the center of the struggle surrounding the child who's in the center of the struggle. And then we get things like good child syndrome, where the other kids are, they don't want to make waves and because it's all mom and dad. So I have uh, Robbie and Lindsay, both from the Betty Ford Center Foundation. Um, and you guys are part of the children's program. Specifically, what's the name of the program you guys are with? So we work for the Hazelden Betty Ford Children's Program in Colorado. And that's part of the Hazelden Foundation. But in Colorado, we specifically only have the children's program, which works with kids 7 to 12 who have a loved one that's impacted by substance use. So you guys are even working with the little, little kids. I've got the 12 to 17 years old. A lot of the programs here have the 18s and up. So you guys are filling in the gap of the 7 to 12 years old. And you said specifically you're working with the kids who are, who've got a sibling who's struggling with drugs or parents too. Yeah, it can be both in the family, it can be anyone. Because um, like you're saying, we see that kids are impacted just as much as the rest of the family. But the difference is that no one's talking to them. They maybe don't have the language or the knowledge exactly about what's happening, but they're still experiencing all the same effects in the family. What are the signs and symptoms of uh, the little kids experiencing? What are they coming to you guys with? How is a eight-year-old showing up and you're saying, ah, they got an addict in the family? You know, that's a good question. I don't know if there's always necessarily, they come in a certain way as much as it's um, coming in experiencing certain situations maybe in the past in terms of what kind of exposure have they had, um, what kind of things have they had to kind of keep inside. Um, that's a big thing that we're hoping to allow space for is for them to be able to kind of talk about some stuff that they haven't talked about before. Um, but I think it can manifest in a lot of different ways. Like you said, it could manifest in the in the small child who is trying to be perfect a lot. A lot of those perfectionism sort of tendencies we'll see in kids. Um, or some of the kids who might be a little more wild, a little bit more rebellious. I think it's pretty interesting that the kids can kind of run with it in almost any direction. Um, I think often based on 
you know, how they're finding fulfillment and what their role ends up being within their family system. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if, Lindsay, you think that there's certain... No, I think, you know, all kids deal with it differently. And a lot of, because of that, a lot of parents think that their kids aren't being affected. You know, they're doing well in school, so I'm not worried about that kid. Right, and right, really right, right. that's not necessarily a symptom. It's the really angry acting out kids that probably get their needs met the most. Yeah. Um, you know, think about, we had a family of two siblings that came through. Their older brother was struggling with an addiction, and those two kids just felt really ignored and really abandoned because all the attention was always on older brother. And for one of the kids, she was really focusing on herself, and but was also very closed off, not really um, engaging with the family, not engaging with her friends just didn't really know what to do with all these big feelings that she's having and nowhere to go with them because no one in her family is talking about it. And the younger brother sees older brother acting out and getting attention, so younger brother thinks, well, I'm going to do that too. Um, so it's, you know, kind of started following in some of those more angry footsteps. So, do you, does, it, does, it become, does behavior ever become gender specific? Do you guys you know, d- tend to recognize that the girls move inwards and the boys push outwards, or is that... You know, it's really not. I don't know what your experience, Robbie, you would say, but we've seen it on all sides, especially when kids are younger. Um, It tends to just be more about their own personalities. We have a lot of very anxious, perfectionistic boys. Um, I do think given um, the way they're socialized might be different. Sometimes girls are more, um, they're not as allowed to act out, you know? Um, So I definitely see some of that sometimes. Sure. I think the feelings that they're having are also the same. Yeah, the only thing I could be grasping a little bit at straws, but um, I do find, I think a lot of the little girls will often end up in a little bit of that caregiver role if there is a child who's being parentified at a really early age. I mean, of course, boys and girls can both be parentified. Um, I think I see girls can often become the mother of sorts, especially if they're first-born child. So so describe that. When you say parentified, that may not be a term a lot of my listeners know. So what do you mean by parentified? It's really just a kid who's thrust into an adult role at a really early age and is taking on a lot of responsibilities that are not appropriate for their age. So we see it all the time where, you know, mom or dad might be caught up in their addiction and it leaves child to not only take care of themselves, but often take care of their younger siblings. Um, That's something that we just had in a program that I just did over the weekend was a girl who was cooking a lot for her younger siblings, making sure that they were ready for school. Um, And, you know, you see it in our program in terms of just these kind of adult children, this little 12-year-old who comes in but performs much older than you would see a lot of 12-year-olds. I think boys can, you know, of course, be parentified as well. If, if it's if it's into the kind of stereotype of the male role, it might be a little bit more into, like, the protector mode or a little right. bit into I need to keep it together kind of thing. Um, but often, for both of, on both sides of that coin, I mean, the kids are inevitably going to be disappointed in themselves and unfulfilled because they can't fulfill those roles. Those aren't roles that are appropriate for them. I imagine that when you're working with kids... Um, and you're, you're connecting with the parents of these kids, that there's a lot of guilt and shame from the parents about the fact that they're, they're bringing their kids to you knowing that these kids have, there's a, there's a level of neglect, and it's certainly not intentional. You're trying to keep another kid alive. Yeah. Like, like some of the neglect cannot be avoided. You're, you're staying up late at hospitals. These kids are spending more time with babysitters. You haven't asked them about school in three days because you're trying to keep the other kid from being expelled. Like... How, how do you connect with parents and, and give them the, we understand it's, it's okay and we need to make change? Like, 
how do you guys navigate that? We work with that all the time. No matter what the situation our grown-ups are in, even the ones, you know, that have done a really good job of hiding things from their kids or taking care of their kids still struggle with that guilt and shame constantly. So we know that when they're coming in. And we navigate that a few different ways. Um, first of all, in our first interactions with grown-ups, we're really careful to you know, ask them not just about what's going on in the family, but what's going well, what are your strengths. So we, we come from a very strength-based modality. Um, we also teach addiction as a disease that is separated from the person. And I think that really helps grown-ups as well. And I'm saying grown-ups because this is also grandparents, aunts, uncles, you know, right, whoever's involved um, in the family. But helping them separate the disease from themselves or even from their, you know, in the situation we're talking about, their uh, older sibling who's been struggling, helps them just kind of see that this is a family disease. It isn't caused by one thing. It's not their fault that their kid has been struggling, but there are some things they can do differently. So we try to call out that guilt and shame right away with them and just kind of see where they're at and let them know that we think that they're good people, they're good parents, despite any negativity that's happened in their family. They've also done so many things right. And that's something that I just had a, a mom, I told that to a couple weeks ago and she started crying. She sure. just had not heard that before, that you did a lot of things right and all families have problems. And this is a problem specifically that we don't talk about in our society. And I think that's where that, that shame comes from. Too. Yeah. Uh, they don't go to, you know, PTA meetings or, or, you know, any sort of parent function and talk about how terrible things have been in their family or that their kid is struggling or they feel like they've made mistakes. It's not really okay to say that sometimes. So we had mentioned earlier, you guys had talked about um, that there's there's not always like a specific set of signs that we can, you know, uh, uh, diagnostic factors. However, I want to ask again, if we, because, because there was a mention about, um, you know, just the idea that, it, that if a kid's acting a certain way, they're either, you know, being parentified or they're, they've gone to good child and stuff. Let's do give a parent some signs because if the parent has a kid that's struggling and the other one is well at least they're doing okay and they're getting their grades are decent or you know teacher says they're doing fine that still might be masking what's truly going on so what are some things that parents can actually look for uh that that might even though they think their kids are doing okay it might just be a matter of if they focus on what the kids who are doing okay are actually doing, they realize they're not. What are some of the things that these kids could be acting in or acting out with? Sure. Well, um, one thing I was thinking about immediately when you were talking is that we talk a lot with kids this age about um, stomach aches and headaches and sleeping problems. Of course. They really, uh, when they're not given a place to talk about things and they're not given a chance to kind of learn about some of this stuff, because that's the other thing. Kids aren't going to come up to you and say, hey, mom, I'm feeling a lot of shame about what's been going on in our family. Right. That's not necessarily a word that kids always know. Which is why it's important to give them some language education and um, uh, feelings education. But kids, we've seen, have struggled with sleeping problems, eating problems. Um, we have a lot of kids who are really, really anxious. So constantly asking, you know, they come to our group and they're like, when is lunch? Did you order enough? Are, are, are you going to make sure my sister doesn't have any nuts because she's allergic? Doesn't trust adults at all. Right. Um, so I think that not trusting adults is a big sign. Um, overly anxious. Um, 
almost to a certain degree a, a bit of like paranoia sometimes for kiddos of something bad's going to happen. I don't know what to expect. They're living okay. with a lot of chaos. Yeah. And I think teachers and other people outside the family often can be the ones to see that as well, of seeing kids that, you know, they will have a kid who's drawing on a piece of paper and they'll mess up a little bit and it'll be a complete meltdown because it's not perfect and it's not how they want it. And, you know, that, that tells me there's something else going on. It's not just about this little thing. Another really common thing that we see is kids try to get their needs met with injuries that aren't real. Um, you know, they'll come up to me and say, I think I broke my finger, it's totally fine. And I'll, you know, but they're trying to get their needs met through these physical injuries as well, this right. kind of somatic stuff that's going on. So I think those are a few signs that sometimes parents and, and people can be aware of, of looking for um, things going on with their kids. Because a lot of parents talk to us and say, well, you know, they, they've never said anything about it. I don't think they're bothered by it. Right. But parents also aren't always you know, giving their kids the language and the time to speak. And it's also, you know, a really scary concept sometimes to talk to people in your family about what's going on because they're just as stressed. And kids see that. Yeah. That's one of the number one things. Like, my mom is stressed. If I go tell her that I'm sad too, it's going to add more to her plate because my older brother or sister is causing her so much grief already. I don't want to rock the boat. Um, so kids don't express those things either. Would you add anything, Robbie? I'm just still thinking back to like, is the child in their appropriate role? Are they given space where they're allowed to have fun and be carefree? Is this a child who no longer has that kid-like fun aspect to them? I think that can be a big sign that something else is going on or they're preoccupied with a lot of other things. Um, but no, I think Lindsay, I think you hit on a lot of the big ones that we see. We'll get back to our guest in just a second. I gotta make a quick shout out to two organizations that have really helped out Fire Mountain and Beyond Risk and Back at our booth here at the Winter Symposium. First is Guayaki Yerba Mate. They have given us cases and cases of this amazing, incredible drink to hand out to other people, to get people in the industry of mental health and addiction to understand the benefits of Guayaki Yerba Mate and brain recovery, brain building. I could, I could spend an entire episode, which I did, by the way, with one of the co-founders, David Carr. So go listen to that Beyond Risk and Back episode. And you can always Google benefits, scientific benefits, scientific research behind Yerba Mate. And you will understand why we give this drink out to people in the industry. This is a hidden gem that is getting more and more popular. So please support us being supported by Guayaki Yerba Mate and go pick yourself up a can and get some for your teens. And then second, I need to thank Psychotherapy Associates Winter Symposium people themselves for letting us be here and broadcasting this show and helping us email all of the speakers to get the information, the, 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 the new cutting edge research in brain development, addiction recovery, mental health. And I get to interview these incredible people and get their information into your heads, parents. So thank you to Winter Symposium and thank you to Guayaki. Okay, let's get back to our guest. So I got a question um, because there's a there's a careful balance that we we have to have with making sure the younger kids and I will just use younger because you guys are working with younger kids that they have a certain level of information that they know what's going on because 
they know something is happening in the household. Like the trickle down emotional experience is massive. But now, and parents know this, and they're 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 feeling guilt and shame because they haven't been paying enough time attention to younger kids who are still in very critical development stages. They're being introduced to a world way too soon that they shouldn't be, you know, uh, and would do better if they weren't. Do you take the kid to the hospital to to visit? Like you've got you've got a older daughter. She's she's cut. She's had a suicide attempt. She's in the hospital. Do you take younger brother in to say hi? Is this a good idea? And I, and I ask this honestly because is that going to be traumatizing in and of itself? Or does this give the child a place to say, I miss you. Why are you doing this? And I want you home. Like, God, both of those seem devastating, but potentially helpful. How does a parent make this decision? Um, I mean, my first thoughts are that, of course, different for different families. Um, so particulars are really important. Um, I think we're a big fan of definitely following the child's lead in terms of opening it up to the child and seeing what they might think about So like that. literally asking, do you want to go visit? Would you want to go? And not to say that whatever the child says is necessarily law, but at least to create that space nice. to have a legitimate nice. opinion of course. and that the parent is there to listen to that as well. Um, if child is very interested and if it seems like appropriate enough situation, I think it's important that some level of conversation happens prior to so there's some context for the child to digest this information Let, um, let's get some definition around to what would make it appropriate and inappropriate because they could go to the hospital to visit and there could be a a meltdown in the hospital and it's not like they're going to be in the room with all the other adolescents that are struggling it's just that the place could go on lockdown i you know we our facility is a much more open facility and a family comes in and they could these kids could see something else happen in the facility. So what makes it an, a, a, an appropriate or inappropriate? Do you have any thoughts? That's a good question. And, and that's kind of hard to answer, but I would say that's something the parent can gauge on maybe speaking with the uh, doctor or the therapist that is working with their older child to say, you know, what kind of state are they in? Um, and maybe asking them as well of asking them, do you want to visit with your younger sibling and another option too is the sibling could write a letter draw a picture so that that, per that person knows that they're aware and that they're needed and missed if, if it doesn't feel like that person's in a state that they want to hear those things or be around or the younger kid doesn't want to be seeing those things too um, I, w I agree with you too on the setting you know uh, a child in treatment that's like a wonderful example for kids to go see um, someone in the hospital who's who's sick um, who's just, you know, maybe had a suicide attempt, who's pretty fragile. That might be more of a conversation to have as a family and see, give them a couple days, right. see if they're more stable. Right. And again, like I said, involving that professional might be important who can give a little more context to the state of the, the child. A parent who's listening to this that is that is looking at their their younger children and going, okay, you know, now that I've heard this episode, there's some things going on and I need to address them. How? What are a? How do we address it? B. What are some um, like connective skills we can begin to build with the younger kids to bring them back into the the recovery that the whole family is in? 
I think, yeah, it's, it's really important that the child has some level of understanding of what's going on with their sibling. Um, I think that's what we encounter a lot with adults, of course, is, oh, these kids are too young to understand, to expose them to these things, when we really find that, of course, like you said, that trickle-down effect of the, the tension or whatever else may be um, is going to affect the child anyway. So it makes a lot of sense to have conversations with the kids, um, whether that's about the substance use, whether that's about suicidality, um, but reaching out to professionals who can give some level of language I think about what these conversations can be. I think we're much more well-versed in terms of what those substance right. use conversations would sure, be. Sure. I don't know if that's what you're interested in kind of getting a little more specific around. Well, I know my parents would want to know how do I, how do I even begin the conversation to say they've smoked so much pot that they think that they're Jesus Christ now and it's gotten bad and they got to go away for a while. Like, yeah. how do you tell an eight-year-old that? Like, I don't, yeah. The language that we use is that um, the person you love, you know, so your older brother has been struggling with using too much alcohol or using drugs. And when people use alcohol and drugs, it makes them really sick. And it's a disease that lives in their brain. And because of it, they feel like they have to keep using drugs and alcohol instead of talking about their feelings and problems and secrets. And using the words drugs and alcohol is okay, much like suicide. Talking about suicide doesn't cause suicide. Talking about drugs and alcohol doesn't cause it. That's really important. That my very first, my very first time ever working with a suicidal child. That was the first thing I learned, and it was mind-boggling to learn it, and so powerful to put into practice. That that's a conversation that you don't cupcake. You don't sugarcoat that one. We talk directly about suicide. You don't get brutally graphic. Right, but yeah. you say, what you said, Lindsay, is important. Talking about suicide does not cause suicide. Yep, and it's the same with drugs and alcohol. And kids uh, definitely need to understand that it's not their fault. That's one of the biggest things for younger kids, um, feeling like it's their fault. Do that... Uh, the nature of younger kids, they think everything's about them, right? And yeah. everything good in the world happens because of them. Everything hard in the world happens because of them. So knowing that the things that are going on are not their fault. It's not that your older brother or sister doesn't love you. It's just that they're having a really hard time. And, you know, you know, what feelings do you have about what's going on? Because I bet what we hear a lot from younger kids is, you know, it just feels like my older brother or sister doesn't love me anymore. All they, they are mean to me. They're never around. I miss them. They're just as affected, but they don't know why, so they think it's because of them. I must not be, I'm an annoying little sister, and that's why she hates me. Right. Which is really not the case. So that education alone, just when kids hear it's not their fault, is really helpful. Um, and I think it's a great place for parents to start. It's just ask, what questions do you have? And um, the other question is, you know, what feelings do you have? And the thing that I really want parents to know, too, is that they don't have to have all the right answers. It's okay to say, I don't know, or I want to talk to someone about that and find you an answer. Or I'll tell you more about that later if you're really unsure of what the level is. Kind of like you said, we don't need to go into brutal detail about um, right. the drugs specifically or how they're doing it or the other bad things that are happening. But it's okay to say that sometimes bad things happen when people are using alcohol and drugs. And we're trying to get, you know, brother, sister some help. But I want you to know you matter too, and let's keep talking about this stuff. Is it, is it okay for parents to start asking the, the younger kids, you know, hey, thanks for telling me, you know, that you're really sad and it's not your fault. Could you draw this in a picture? Like, what are some of the things that you guys would, would actually have your parents do at home with the younger siblings? Yeah, I mean, it's all about just creating consistent space for the child to be able to share with you. And children are very different in terms of how they like to share. So that's something we kind of 
challenge parents to find out, especially leaving our program, during our program, the kids practice talking about their feelings, drawing about them and writing about them, and kids gravitate to all of these different things in different ways. Um, so we'll make recommendations for parents. If, if um, talking isn't working so well, that's a good place to start is, you know, creating consistent space. We tend to do it at night as kids are going to bed of talking about feelings and right, stuff like right. that. But if kids are grabbing onto that, sometimes we'll recommend doing some sort of shared journal where the kid gets to write a little bit in this journal and they put it somewhere. And when that journal is in that position, the parent knows, oh, there's something written in there and now I can read it and respond to it. Um, if, it, if it came down to drawing, drawing's a great way too. If the kids are, if mom or dad and child can draw together and stuff can come out of that as well. Um, and no one has to be a Jungian psychologist. Uh, inter- <laughs> I don't think so. No, 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 no. I think kids are nice and direct in a lot of they ways. Are, they really and that's are. really fortunate. And that's why, again, I think I come back to all the time. It's just really letting them lead the way. Um, really allowing them a lot of options, asking a lot of questions, and then really just following them as uh, they choose what's best for them, because they will. And the more you as a parent can be in tune with that, I think is really where the power comes, because then that space will continue to expand for the child. Right. There's also some um, books you can get that on the subject um, that you can read for with your child, or there's also parenting books to read about it. Claudia Black has a great uh, a great book called Straight Talk. Claudia Black's a genius. Yes, she is. We we utilize her theories and work all the time. She's sitting right there I signing know she's right books. Us. Yeah. Um, so she's a great resource. There's um, children's books as well written for to read with your kiddo to see if that opens up some dialogue. And we also always recommend just playing. Kids seven to twelve. If you sit there and just play catch with them or get on the ground and play with them, you'll be amazed at what just starts coming out. Um, in some of that indirect way sometimes, especially the older kiddos, the more side-by-side you can come. So sitting in the car is a great time to talk about this stuff. Um, on the way to something that seems kind of not important, that's when kids are going to open up more. Um, so there's a lot of opportunities. And continuing to give those opportunities because it's something that kids are learning how to do. Another thing that we suggest, too, is modeling saying, you know, I'm really sad about what's going on with your brother. And one of the ways that I'm working on that is I'm going to these meetings or I see a therapist or I talk to my sister, you know. And modeling that they're having feelings and modeling that you're taking care of them is the number one way kids are going to learn from you on how to um, talk about those things too. You guys talk about uh, uh, Hazelden, Betty Ford, uh, Betty Ford Hazelden, uh, because everybody knows Betty Ford. I, that, that name has been around since Betty Ford and, and her just such important work. Uh, Hazelden, Betty Ford, they're the, they're the same organization now and have kept the name. Um, but, but talk about you guys, your services, and uh, uh, Betty Ford Hazelden together. Sure. Um, so yeah, Hazelden and the Betty Ford Center merged five years ago, seven right. years ago, something like that. So now is uh, quite the big organization offering services all across the country. Um, as Lindsay said in the beginning, we're specifically the children's program. Um, the children's program started also about 20, 25 years ago because Betty Ford believed that children deserve to be a part of the recovery process, not only for their own sake, um, but also because it was very important for the family's entire healing, for the person, the identified patient as well, that um, their chances at maintaining recovery was actually much stronger when family members and children were included as well. Um, so our children's program occurs in Aurora, Colorado, Rancho Mirage, California, and out in Center City, Minnesota. We run four-day programs 
about twice a month all year long. So we're always running these programs for children between the ages of 7 and 12 who have a loved one, who have had an issue or continue to have an issue with drugs or alcohol. It's a group-based program, so the kids meet to get to go through this with other kids who have experienced this, which we find is probably one of the most important parts of our of course, program. Of course, of course. Is even for a six-year-old to see another seven or eight-year-old who has had similar experiences really helps them to open up and helps to normalize some of this for them. Um, it's a lot of fun. We play a lot. Play is one of the main parts of our program as well. Um, again, trying to break down some of that parentification. Um, we offer additional services following that four-day program as well, but that four-day program is really our bread and butter, and it also includes caregivers as well. So it's not only just for the kids, but it ends up being a whole sort of family psychoeducation support program. Okay. And I think one other thing to mention is that no child's ever turned away due to the inability to pay, so families can come through for free. Thank you. Uh, Lindsay Chadwick, Robbie Bruza, did I say that right? Yeah, you got it. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> From Hazel and Betty Ford in, in Aurora. Uh, I've, I've spoken at your place a couple times. Uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful facility. It's a great campus. Uh, thanks, you guys. This, uh, this was an important show for parents. I know they're going to get a lot out of it. Thanks, thanks so much. Thank you so much for having well, us. Of course, of course. Thank you. Appreciate it. This has been another episode of Beyond Risk and Back. Thank you so much for joining me, parents. Please remember to give us a listen, a like, a subscribe, and share us with your friends, other parents who need the support. I have a few people I'd like to thank. First is Frazier PR. I'd also like to thank Your Cause Consulting. And I need to give a shout out to Deepin Productions. As always, thank you to Mental Health News Radio for hosting this show. And I'd like to thank Guayaki. Guayaki has sponsored our booth here at the Winter Symposium. And of course, all my fans everywhere all over the world, thank you so much for making Beyond Risk and Back a number one parenting podcast. Remember, parents, take care of yourself first, your adult relationship second, and your children third, because in that way, we do our best work with our children. I'll see you next week.